Morning, everybody. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. Everybody's really wide awake today, right? We got an extra hour. <laughs> Certainly none of you stayed up an extra hour later because you could do that. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Lord, I really ask your liberty and enablement in this sermon this morning. Uh, Lord, you know the passion that I feel for this, this passage, desire to see your spirit uh, move in our lives, challenge us, stretch us, excite us with what it means to really live in the new realm uh, of Christ. So teach us to that end, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Legend has it in 1836, March of 1836, in a little Spanish rescue mission in Texas, that while a group of men, this part of the story we know is not legend, where a group of men, a little over 230 of them, gathered together to face an onslaught of 3,100 of the Mexican army coming against them. Legend has it, and we believe it happened, although there are some that question it, because some of the people that got out of the rescue mission, uh, the mission, women, children that left, uh, recorded this event. That Colonel William Tra Travis, the leader of the American army that was in the, uh, the Alamo, well, approached these soldiers and said, we have now found out that we are not going to have any more reinforcements coming. It's us. We have two to 230 soldiers. Santa Ana has over 3,000 soldiers. Um, we are asking you to make a decision. And at that moment, he wrote with his sword. He drew a line in the sand, and he said, if you are willing to stay, recognizing you are facing almost certain death, I'm going to ask you to cross over the line if you do not cross over the line, you are free to leave with the party that is, is now leaving. And legend has it, some say everybody crossed, some say everybody but one guy crossed. But basically, there was this, this line in the sand moment, literally, and, and from where we get the phrase as a metaphor in our culture of making an important decision. Paul is drawing a line in the sand in this passage. In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, it is the first opportunity where Paul, that Paul has taken to present a moral challenge to his readers, where he is actually asking them to make a decision, to, to cross the line, if you will. Now, it is a challenge passage, and it, I hope it is going to come through as one. It is a challenge to live a certain way. Now, I recognize the, the, the challenge of challenges, that there can be the response, look, I've tried it before. Look, uh, 
People will do it for the wrong reasons. It'll just be emotional hype and response. It won't last. I get all that. But Paul here is laying it all out for us and saying, look, you have passed from one realm of life to another. You are given a chance to live differently. Don't waste your life. Give yourself to something unique and special that God has given his own son's life to enable you to do, to live a life in the power of Jesus Christ. I looked up, knowing what I was going to call this sermon this morning, I looked up the word wasting in the dictionary, and I, I found this definition pretty much repeated with all the ones that were there. To waste is to use carelessly, extravagantly, or to no purpose. We use waste in exactly that way. Don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. Don't waste water. Don't waste electricity. Don't waste man hours. But Paul is saying something here much more significant. He's saying, don't waste your life. Don't live carelessly without fulfilling the purpose for which you were given the life that you have been given. In this passage, Paul presents to us four things about his challenge to not waste our lives. The first of those is the reason. You don't have to waste your life is the reason he gives to us to not do so. He says this by one word. It's the word therefore. He says, look, what I'm going to say to you about not wasting your life and investing it in things that matter, I'm doing on the basis of something else. Therefore, as a result of all the things I've been arguing to this moment, I'm asking you to not waste your life. The therefore is referring back to all the six chapters, but notably the passage that Pastor Don talked on last week, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6, where we are told that we have been delivered from the realm of death into the realm of life if Jesus Christ has literally become our Savior and Lord, entered our lives. There has been a regime change. There has been a realm change. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Whereas at one time sin reigned in your life, it no longer is the reigning entity. You have passed from that realm to another one. And he says, on the basis of that, live differently. It's striking that throughout Romans 6, 7, and 8, the, the metaphor he's going to continue to come back to is the metaphor of slavery. He says, you've been liberated from slavery. You have been emancipated. You are not really ultimately a captive to living the way you did before. That realm is gone as far as a ruling entity in your life. But of course, we old, old habits die hard. And we recognize we are emancipated theoretically from the bondage to a way of life. But in practicality, we find that reality is there's a challenge here. And that's the second thing he talks about. The reality is... You really can waste your life. And he's talking to Christians. He's saying you can miss the chance to live the life that you have been granted. And he tells us how in verse 12 and 13. He says this. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. He says, don't let sin reign. 
It shouldn't because you've been liberated from it as a master, but you can still choose to do so. And secondly, he says, don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Now, this can mean a couple of things. It can mean like the famous hymn, beautiful hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, where it sort of divides up the body parts, and it says, you know, take my feet and let them go here, and take my hands, take my lips, uh, take my mind. All those things are involved, and, and, and that's true. But we're told that it means more than just offering our body parts. In Romans chapter 12, it says it this way, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to, and here's the word again, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable, proper worship. What he's saying is, when I'm talking to you about, about now offering your parts, I'm offering, and he says, I'm talking about offering yourself. I'm placing, he says, you're placing yourself on the altar. I mean, you don't just place your arm on the altar. You don't just place your, 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 your foot on the altar. You place the whole animal with sacrifice, and it's a picture of whole sacrifice. That every part of our life is, is yielded on the altar, and strikingly, it's in the present tense, which means in the original, it's a continual practice that we are continually recognizing the need of, of offering ourselves, God, today, today, as I face what's going to come today, today I put myself in the altar, my words, my, my thoughts, all of my life, the things I watch, Lord, today, I want to be offering myself to you. Now, the logical question is, why do we, why do we struggle with this? I mean, I mean, he's just told us, that we have, in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6, that we've been delivered from this, this realm of, of life where sin is dominating and where that is our default mode. And now he says, yeah, but the reality is you can still miss the glory of this new life if you do not offer yourselves. Now, why is it so hard? We're freed, right? Right? Well, there are two primary, uh, theologians always said there are three historic challenges we have to living our life of faith, and they're all true, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm going to focus on the first two very briefly. I think one of the reasons is simply the world in which we live. We live in a, a sin-dominated world. We're talking about changing regime change. We're talking about realm change. We're talking about in the midst of still living our lives where we lived before, how we, the job we had before, the people that we're doing life with we had before, and now all of a sudden we're supposed to live as if our whole orientation is a whole new kingdom. But we still live in this kingdom. We still live in a world where living for Christ and living a Christ-centered life is still not the default mode of most people we do life with. Marion and I have read a book recently called 12 Years a Slave. It's the story of Solomon, I can't remember his last name, Solomon Northrup. Solomon Northrup was, it was written in the 1840s. Solomon Northrup was a, an African-American businessman in upper, state, upper New York State. He was a carpenter, and he also was a violinist, a very talented man, raising his family, and he got um, an offer to play with this, this couple of, 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 of guys that came through his area, and they heard him play his violin at, at, at various occasions, and they offered him a gig down in New York and then down in Washington, D.C., and they paid well. And so he, he did the gig, and he went, and um, he did not know these guys were slave traders. And literally, this is a true story, Solomon Northrup 
was enslaved, sent to Louisiana, and for the 12, next 12 years of his life, up until 1856, Solomon Northrup was in slavery, a man who had, by generations, been raised in a Christian culture of freedom, a Christian family in, in freedom. And he went into slavery. Of course, initially, he tried to remonstrate. Every time he tried to explain who he was, uh, he was beaten, his papers, of course, where everything was taken. And it's a fascinating story. It's been made into a movie, I think, uh, in 2013. Um, but basically, the fascinating part of the story to me is how this man, who knows this is not his world, he knows he is not a slave, but he is in a culture of slavery. He is treated like a slave, and the challenge of living, and he is forced, of course, to some degree to, um, to not live out, to, to keep his head down with his claims of who he is, but he, is, he never loses sight of this is not who I am. And he, he's able to influence some beautiful things he does. It was a powerful book, uh, second only to Uncle Tom's Cabin, in influencing people in the North to run, understand the, the horrors of slavery that were going on in their country in the pre-Civil War years. But it struck me, that's how Christian life can sometimes feel. That we are living and we, we, we don't belong in, in the realm. We are not under the, the bondage of slavery. We don't have to live the way we lived before because of Jesus. We don't have to live with the worry and the anger and the, and the lust and the controlling realities and the controlling desires. We don't have to... But when we are surrounded with a culture that seemed to say, in a media that says, what are you talking about living your life for Jesus Christ? I mean, you're a little invisible friend. I mean, what are you talking about him directing how you make your financial decisions and, and who, who, how, how are you going to determine your moral values? And, and if you are in, and some of you are in a culture where you feel like there is no Christian breath, there's no life there, and you can feel that, ah, it's just so difficult to, to live wholeheartedly with Jesus Christ. I, I think the world is one element. The second greatest challenge we have to live in wholeheartedly with our lives fully offered regularly to Christ is, the world, is, is, is our own flesh. The patterns and habits of our own old life are, are still there. The orientation and disposition uh, is still there towards sin and self-centeredness and all the self-absorption, self-life stuff. So Paul has to say in Galatians 5 to Christians, look, you can walk in the Spirit under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life, the new life, the realm to which you're called, or you can walk in the life of the flesh. So there's this challenge. There's this tension and Paul is doing what the Scripture often needs to do and what we often need to have done. He is laying down the gauntlet, and he's putting the, the, the saber in the sand, and he's saying, guys, what are you living for? Are you living as someone is a part of the realm of righteousness, the realm of freedom, the realm of life, and not death? When you say, well, these messages where you start getting, you know, and, and, and 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul talks about, you know, he's running the race and he's beating his body and, 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 and I'm about grace. I'm not about legalism. I'm not about performance. I get it. But I'd just like to share this verse in Titus chapter 2. Here's what it says. The grace of God 
teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There is a decision involved here. There is a continual surrender required here, continually yielding ourselves afresh upon the altar. Lord, today, today, I want to live in your power. But it is so easy to go with the flow. It is so easy to have the regime change and the realm change, but to be content with living a half-hearted Christian life. Revelation 3, Jesus makes a shocking statement to the church of Laodicea, which I believe, many believe, is, is the greatest picture of all those churches of the Western church today. And he says this in Revelation 3, talking to the church, the Laodicean believers, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot, I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, that sounds harsh. I mean, God talking about spitting people out of his mouth. What, what, what's Jesus saying there? Here's what I think he's saying. If I go into Starbucks and I order my cafe Americano one shot, which is what wimpy coffee drinkers do where you really water it down because it's supposed to have two or three shots. But I, I order my thing, and, and, and they'll ask me this question, especially in the winter in the summer months. They'll say, do you want it hot or do you want it iced? And I might say to them, well, actually, I like my coffee Americana lukewarm. <laughs> Room temperature, maybe a tiny bit warmer. And, and the guy would, he probably wouldn't say it, the barista, he or she would not say this out loud, but probably the thought would go through their mind. Ooh, we got a real Columbia coffee king in here today. This guy knows how to do his drink. Well, nobody thinks that way. Nobody wants a lukewarm coffee. What you do when you take a sip of a lukewarm coffee is you want, to see, you want to spit it out. That's not how you drink coffee. If you drink coffee that way, I'm sorry. Um, but it's troubling, very troubling. But I think what God is saying is this is not how it's designed. It's either hot or it's iced. And he says the design is you'll, 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 be, you'll be all in. Or you'll be all out like non-Christian. That's where you are. That's where you were. But now you're supposed to be in. You've been changed. You've had regime change. But he says you're not all in. You're living wastefully. You're not living according to the design. Now you're here. Or you're watching online. And you've already made choices for being here, so you deserve some commendation. You're not raking your leaves this morning. You didn't sleep in. You've made the effort to come, and I want to I affirm that and the beauty of the choices you've already made this morning. But I want to ask this question. Really, what is the trajectory of your life right now? Is your life on the altar? Is your career yielded to the purposes and designs that God has in giving you 
that position? Is your secret life on the altar? Are you all in this morning? And maybe you'd say, Mark, I'm tired. I'm scattered. I'm discouraged. I'm fearful. I'm distracted. I'm angry. I'm worried. I want to be a Christian. I mean, I'm here after all. I'm not cold in my faith. I love Christ. But I'm not hot. I'm not on fire. I'm not passionate for the purposes of Christ. I'm not confident that he can and will use me because I've given him today and and these last few days my wholehearted desire that he work through my life. No. Then I'm going to say this to you. I think God would say this to you. Stop wasting your life. Take the line in the sand and say right here, right now, this morning, this is another gifted opportunity of the Lord to say, I have way more for you than you're experiencing. I, 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 there are lies that are keeping you from enjoying the beauty of the Christian life that I have provided a regime change for you to experience. And that's why he's going to tell us the next thing here. He's going to tell us the resource Scratch that. The remedy, invest your life in something majestic. I love this. Look at verse 13. Look at what he says here. I'll read the whole verse. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. He said, offer yourselves not to God's plans, not to God's purposes, not to God's principles, not even to God's scriptures. He says, offer yourselves to God. This cosmic Lord of the universe, this transcendent God says, I want you to to offer yourselves to me and watch what I do with people that are wholeheartedly yielded to me. He says, I brought you out of the regime where you lived in control by the self-life, but I brought you into a new regime that you could watch me work my power through your life. There's a story I had, well, uh, this was a story I was recently told. I was with a, a director of a, a pr- former president of a, of, a, of a mission. He's now started another mission, very involved in international things around the world. I had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago. And Jim was talking, he, he's very involved with millennial young adults. He has a conference every year where he brings in speakers from all over the world to just, just feed into these, these young spiritually hot millennials that really want to make a difference for Christ. And he was talking, and he says, our theme this year was, was all about prayer. And he says, you know, when I go all over the world, he says that the church of Jesus Christ, it, it's, it's, it, it, and he made this statement, the view of prayer is, of course, so different in other cultures than here in the United States. 
And I brought him back to that. I said, why is it an of course statement that you made? Well, he says, because in other cultures, there's a sense of desperateness for God. There's a sense that we can't make it without God. And he says, but there is so, so little of that that I sense in the American church relative to many of these cultural contexts. And he says, and he said an interesting thing. He said, what happens then is because these brothers and sisters, are, it's so normative for them to be cast on the power of God that when big things come, I mean, life-shaping, terrorizing, like martyrdom and persecution and, and pestilence and, 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 and true poverty. He says when things hit their lives, they're ready because they're already used to doing life with God and a big God because they're desperate for Him all the time. It's striking as you think about that, that in the Old Testament, I think this is exactly what happened when the people of Israel got to the promised land. Here was the land, and 12 guys were elected. Now, these were 12 mucky mucks in the people of Israel. I mean, it isn't just Joshua and Caleb, but all 12 of those guys were, each of their tribes appointed somebody. They, they, they appointed guys they admired, they respected. These were influencers. These were the pastors. These were the spiritual leaders. These were the political mucky mucks, movers and shapers. And these guys were sent in to evaluate the land. And first they walk in, and they're just all fired up because they're walking around, and there's just beauty everywhere. It talks about that they, it took two of them to carry a big pole, and there was, because the bunches of grapes were so heavy, that that was the only way they could carry this, this monstrous thing. And they said it was, it was beautiful. And then they ran into the Anakim. The Anakim were giants. They were forerunners, actually, ancestors of Goliath. I mean, they were Giant giants, big guys. They were warriors. They had big walled cities. And 10 of the 12 men came back with a report. Yeah, this, the grapes are great. The land's awesome. But they're giants. And as we looked at their walls and their cities, we thought, oh my goodness, we're just grasshoppers before these guys. And that's how they looked at us. And quite frankly, that's how we looked at us. And here are Joshua and Caleb going, that's not true. I mean, there's a bigger picture here, guys. I mean, what about God? What about... Now, I can guarantee you that the difference between those two reports, the report of the majority 10, the minority 2, was not because the minority 2 happened to have devotions that morning. It went a lot deeper than that. These were two men that were used to living their lives with the bigness of God compelling them in times of prosperity, in times of adversity. So when they ran into giants and they hit the walled cities, they saw it through the grid of a big God. I loved what Pastor Ben said a few weeks ago when he was talking about, and he used the illustration of David with Goliath, and he, and he made a statement something like this. He said that when David came to Goliath, having spent his life in worship and enjoyment of God. When he ran into a giant, he just saw the bigness of God. He was not dominated by the vision of the giant. That's what happens when you habitually are yielding yourself on the altar. And what the Lord is saying to us through Paul is saying, my people need to continually yield themselves to me. And, 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 and as they yield themselves to me, 
And life begins to be dominated by a perspective of me, and they see through the grid of my bigness. They will live the way I designed them to live as people who have had the regime change in the power of Christ. He, we are called, first of all, to God. But then he says, also, the remedy is offering ourselves to God's vision. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Last part of verse 13. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, that if you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have been embraced by his grace to do that, then you can be certain that you fulfill Ephesians 2.10, which says this, God has appointed works in advance for you to do. For you to do. You may say, well, you know, I, man, I, would, I would so much, I would delight to offer myself on the altar you know, and, and, and to see God use me, if, if I had the musical gifts of, 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 of people that I, you know, that I really admire, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, if, if, if I were a Toby Mac or a, a Kerry Job or a, or a Jeremy Camp, or I mean, if I had the, the position that of, of a Carson Wentz in, in the sports world, or if I were a, uh, if I were a Francis Chan or, or, a, or a Matt Chandler and could have those speaking gifts, but, but I'm me. God is not asking you. He, God is not saying to you to not waste their lives. He's saying to you, don't waste yours. The one that he designed in you. The one that he created for you. And he's saying, you waste it. When you don't, yield yourselves and offer yourselves on the altar. That God has beauty that he wants. He wants to use your life. And there's not a person in this room that is too old or too young to be off God's, I can do it through you list. He still has purposes. If he didn't, you'd be in heaven. He has called us to say, God, this isn't about me now taking this thing and running with. All you're asking is I just put myself on the altar and say, Lord, help me today in your strength to live your glory. Here's my watch list of things I'm going to watch. Here's the things that, the appointments I have coming, and in each of them, help me to live in your strength. He's asking you to start right now, this morning, at the altar. There are a lot of you here, I would guess, that God has taken his saber and writing a, a line in the sand and saying, I want you to cross over that line. I want you to get out of the lukewarm neutral zone. I want you to say, God, I need it again. I've, I've seen beauty in my life. I've seen you work in my life. I've seen you take care of things in my life. I've seen you get me through such tremendous trouble. But it always came when I again came wholeheartedly to offer myself to you. Maybe here, right now, today, he's saying again, this is another reminder. You need to get off the no man's land of, of nothingness in the Christian life, just sort of living that half-hearted, lukewarm Christian yeah, you're getting to church, but there's no power, there's no fire. He's saying, man, right now, today, offer yourselves afresh, wholeheartedly to God. The resource is given to us in verse 14, God's grace, not your insufficiency. Under the law means under the system of law as a means of acceptance and living the life on my own resource. 
Under grace means under the system of God's grace as a means of acceptance and living life by the active help of my Savior. I would guess there are many of you today that are discouraged in your Christian journey, in life in general. Every new circumstance, new challenge, new opportunity, even seemingly new blessings just seems like a new problem. It's more to take on. It's overwhelming. And I'll suggest to you, it's overwhelming for one reason. Because you sense your own insufficiency and lack of resources, and you are measuring life by you. And I can tell you, you're always going to come up wanting. I am always going to come up wanting. The Spirit is calling us back to surrender. To say, God, I've changed regimes I've been brought into your family as your child. You have made available to the resources of of a transformed life. But you're asking me to be a wholehearted sacrifice on the altar. It starts today. It may be a renewal today. It's going to need to continue to happen. It's going to be the way you start and say, Lord, again, I, I don't want to, I I, my, my default mode is to, 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 I'll take it from here and I'll do it and, and then we'll, We'll mess up again. But what he's saying is, we don't have to live that way. We are offered a new way in the power of Christ to the glory of Christ. And maybe we need a line in the sand today. I'm going to close this in prayer and then uh, give opportunity for response in a certain way. Lord, we come to you this morning. We find one of the greatest propensities of our flesh is to convince us that we are responsible, that our role is to to do and to try to carry this thing rather than that our calling is to yield. So, Lord, you lead us to the altar today. God, thank you that you want us to live differently. You've made life available for us. And I pray today that this would be a, a, a line-crossing moment for many, just a renewal for many. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service this morning with the Lord's Supper, and, but I want to read a part of the passage and use it as our, our Lord's Supper. Um, and I'm going to have you come and serve yourselves. I have some of the guy, I have Pastor Tim's line, I have a couple of people we're going to have one over here, one over here, one over here, which are stations. And basically what we're going to invite you to do is to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. You see, what this table is about is the reminder that Jesus Christ offered himself for us, right? He lived for us. He died for us on the cross. He asks us to offer ourselves on the altar in response that his life can now be lived through us. And this is not a trade where you are coming and you can only have his blessing if you bring your offering. But I would suggest to you, part of the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to get us to examine, are we living in our own strength or are we yielding to Christ? Because it tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are to examine ourselves and that some of the problems in our lives, very clearly it says, are simply the result of not offering ourselves to Christ's life and lordship through us.
So as we come, and I'm going to give you a few moments to pray before we partake of the elements, I encourage you to allow God to speak into your life this morning. Maybe he said something to you this morning and said, this is for you. I mean, you're here because you need to hear this, this thought that am I living half-heartedly? Well, that's never the way the Christian life was designed to be lived. Jesus says that's, that's spit-outable lifestyle. We've been called to live in the passion of a life yielded to Jesus Christ. Maybe there are specific things he's going to ask you to yield to him as a re response this morning. Maybe it is just a renewal that, Lord, I feel this was for me. This is, this is a reminder. And as I come and partake of the element, which is, which is again reminding me of the offering you've made for me, I'm offering, also saying, Lord, I'm, I'm joyfully putting myself on the altar of surrender to you this morning, that your life, the regime-changed lifestyle, can be lived through me.